Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino. John Copenhaver and Al Warren. Heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 105.0 now, uh, now, Donna. Now, you you've been around and uh, writing books. How? Do, <laughs> well, I know. It's a, for, for, uh, yes, I have. Yeah, she's she's been around. Me and the Beach Boys. Oh, oh so you're a Charlie Manson fan? Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so now I noticed your book, Final Exams, and um, how did you get to um, working the books with with Cyril? Actually, how did how did that happen? Well, I had been uh, a freelance true crime writer since the O.J. chase. What happened, is uh, just to back it up uh, before that, I was working on the Arsenio Hall show as a comedy writer. And uh, I, he quit the show. You know, darn it, it was a great gig. Yeah. And so I had to go clean out my office. So I before I left the house, because this was the day, uh, uh, June 17th, 1994, that O.J. was to surrender himself to the police for the murders, uh, suspected murders, of his ex-wife and of her friend. And uh, so I thought, well, that'll be interesting to watch when I come home to unemployment. So I stuck in a a new video, eight-hour video, and I hit record, and I went, cleaned out my office, and that's the day of the slow speed chase. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I came home, I watched that and went, oh, my gosh, I have a new career. I want in on that. <laughs> so I contacted friends of mine who were um, with the National Enquirer, uh, and I said, uh, uh, put me on your team. I'm ready for this. I want to do this case. I want to do all true crime, but, you know, this is what... Uh, I want to begin with, and they said, okay, so I started writing that, and then I, then shortly thereafter, Jean Benet Ramsey, and um, uh, every major true crime case I worked on, and in doing so, I always realized that the epicenter of any true crime is the autopsy, so I uh, began calling Dr. Cyril Wecht for uh, assistance in my articles, and he gave me gravitas and put it in uh, plain language that my readers would enjoy and understand. And uh, and I developed a friendship with him. He was so funny. He is so funny. He still is. By the way, 
He is the world-renowned uh, forensic pathologist, a.k.a. A medical examiner. He has personally performed 21,000 autopsies. I've only done two. And in both cases, the guys woke up before I could really get going. But anyway, that's, a, that's another story. Uh, so he also has consulted on more than 40,000 other death cases, and he's a lawyer. So nobody has those credentials uh, but Sirouette. So uh, we started writing books together, and what I am the one who get from all of his 60,000 cases... I choose the ones that are uh, the juiciest and the most twisted. Or the, the, I always make sure there's prosecution and defense, uh, good arguments on both sides. Or you know, he'll he'll work for either side. Uh, you know, he can pick and choose the cases he works on, and I pick and choose the ones to write about. And always making sure that the cause and um, nature of the death is different. So, you know, no two drowning cases in the same book and no two, you know, gunshots and stabbings and all, all the ways that you can die. And um, whether it's suicide or murder or natural, well, who cares about natural, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> come on. I'm not selling books about natural death. I'm not Dr. Oz here. Yeah. But um, anyway, so... We try to make sure that each of the cases has a, you know, a real interesting cinematic almost uh, descriptions of he has the medical information, and I go back and I get into the heads of the uh, victims and the person who perpetrated the crime. And um, so I, together we're like CSI and criminal minds. And I think our books each have four to seven cases in each book. So our first one, uh, and some of them are very famous cases, Anna Nicole Smith and her son in the first book, and uh, two um, child murders in San Diego, California. And uh, then there's uh, a great case that he did um and this is all Cyril, you know, I, I came into it afterwards. Sometimes I will bring a case to him, uh, or we'll both work on it separately and then come together for the book. Uh, but this was one of his, it was about um, a homicidal doctor during the Katrina, out, you know, hurricane, and she ended up killing 32 viable patients and thought she'd get away with it. And, in fact, you know, uh, cut to the end, she did get away with it. Um, she involuntarily euthanized uh, 32 patients. So, anyway, things like that really get us mad. So then our second book uh, is From Crime Scene to Courtroom, and that's about all interesting cases as well. Casey Anthony, Drew Peterson, Michael Jackson, um Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones um, and a couple other cases. And our third one is uh, Final Exams, True Crime Cases of Cyril Wecht. And those are mostly, he's based in Pittsburgh, so these are, so, uh, this, these are all uh, Pennsylvania-centric cases, and they're all very interesting. And there's a Canadian element in one oh. of them that, uh, yeah, oh-oh, yeah, shame on you for having a, a country that allowed what this what went on in this case. Oh, uh -oh. you have to read it. It's so sick. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> it oh, really no. is. It's like one of the worst. Um, so anyway, that that's how we write is uh, you know together. And now we're working on a, a book about the uh, Kennedy assassination, which Doctor Wecht has been from just about the beginning. Uh, a vocal critic of the Warren Commission, which was that group of esteemed um, experts who came together to lie on behalf of the government and say that one person um, was responsible for this. Yeah, he was so, working for the House Select Committee on the assassination 
right? Well, he, was... he testified for them. He didn't work on the panel because, well, he he sort of did. You know, they uh, anyway. It's, it's that's all in the book. But uh, he he um, was a critic of them too. Let's just say. You can't pull one over on Dr. Sirowak. You know, he just mm. knows too much. And uh, he's not afraid to uh, let it rip. Uh, and, uh, you know, mm. our book is getting into all of that. Plus the media uh, perfidy and um, the com- complicity of the media in promoting these BS stories is uh, shameful. It's um, journalistic malpractice. So... Mm. Uh, this book will be sizzling whenever yeah. it comes out. <laughs> and you said that he was, uh, excuse me for interrupting, but you said that he was a really funny guy, and I thought it was interesting that they cast Albert Brooks as him in the movie <laughs> Concussion. Yes, in Concussion, yes. Yeah, yeah we love that. Yeah, we like, love that a lot, and he, he got to meet uh, Albert, and uh, um, yeah, that was a nice little touch. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, um, it must be really frustrating um, when you deal with cases like Casey Anthony, for instance. Um, (laughs) Well, because you kind of know what the truth is from evidence, but yet the court and the media all have different takes, and of course how it comes out is not necessarily how it should be. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, true crime trials, uh, they'll break your heart. You know, I mean, I, I learned that on O.J., the first uh, criminal trial. I mean, you can't imagine how. I went to bed that night say we got him. You know, case closed, we got him. And, whoa, who knew? Who knew that a jury that heard evidence for ten months would uh, deliberate for three hours, which included their lunch? <laughs> so they take an hour for lunch during their deliberation. And, um, and and not ask for anything to be read back or reviewed. They had been sequestered the whole time. They wanted to get home. But the other thing is they saw something fishy, and they picked up on it. So I act- actually agree with the jury. Now that I know the facts about what happened, um, they caught one of the um, cops doing something uh Sleazy, and uh, they let O.J. go as a result. But you know, the civil trial helped to write that, and uh, he's never paid much in the way of the um, financial burden he owes the victims' families. Yeah, yeah. probably, ne- probably never will. Um, no. Uh, so you know, what? So what's your thought on the media then, and how how it handles this? Um, and do you think that a lot of these trials should be kept from the public until after they're finished? No. Oh, God, no. I love why. I mean, I I mourn the loss of court TV, which I guess is coming back in some limping way. Uh, But, you know, the whole Casey Anthony trial, gavel to gavel. I mean, it was like I was in the courtroom for that. And um, uh, that was just, that's where I just shine. I love that. Uh, you know, I'm not somebody who understands sports. I've never attended a sporting event. But this is as close to sports um, <laughs> yeah. adoration as anyone can get, I think, if you're a, uh, someone who follows the trial. Because, you know, oh, that attorney, and then you start talking about his stats and the games yeah. he's played and stuff. And then you, oh, that judge, well, <laughs> you know, it's like the umpire that you know. Uh, you know, the... The players and the everybody has a component that would be similar to a baseball game or something like that. So sometimes you know you go go or sometimes I'm actually in the courtroom for the Scott Peterson trial. I was there for uh, much of it. Um, so it's it's all very interesting to me. I'm the yeah. same way. I watched the court TV the way most guys watch football, so I understand. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. I love that, especially from a dude. That's wonderful. <laughs> no, I love it too, actually. Uh, I could, I can't take my eyes off it when uh, I see, I find a court TV case that's on YouTube or anything, I'll watch the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's great stuff. And when uh, I talked about this in book two, 
from crime scene to courtroom when Casey Anthony was uh, found uh, not guilty. I had my windows open and I heard a, a shriek throughout my neighborhood, like you know, like a bomb dropped. I mean, it was just. Uh, you know, I thought, oh, I'm really glad I live where I am. <laughs> I know what these people. In fact, I probably contributed to it. Uh, so uh, that that was kind of a funny moment um, in a terrible, tragic case. Well, don't. But don't you think that um, I, I, I sort of see how they play to the media? But you know, even right back to the O.J. Simpson case, um, how could the judge and the defense and all that? really do their job when they're focused on uh, what they're wearing and what people are saying about them. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they have to. I mean, you know, we're going to have more um, cameras in courtrooms as we go forward than fewer. That, that right is going to extend to the Supreme Court one of these days, and uh, it, we're all the beneficiaries of that happening. So, you know, you just have to deal with it. If they play to the cameras, well, then we'll note, it, note that about them. Uh, but um, that's Boy, just Cap- how, how it has to be. He's going to be a mess if they're filming him. As long as there's beer, he'll be stable. <laughs> yeah, and beer and whatever. Uh, now, now, you were just on that uh, ABC special 2020, and and it was on the Phil Hartman case, who uh, we all we're all familiar with. He was a comedian and um, and had a pretty successful career. Um, how, how did you know the couple? Well, I go back to Phil from um, before my comedy writing days for Arsenio. I was on a bunch of other shows, and uh, as I was working my way up the television production ladder, I co-created the Pee Wee Herman show with uh, Pee Wee, and uh, Phil was the first person we brought in to the cast, and he came up with that song about washing your hands, and he he was Captain Carl, uh, who was um, happier out at sea than he was on land, and... um, it was basically Phil's character. I didn't realize that at the time. So I, anyway, I got to know Phil very well from that. He was in the Groundlings, as was Paul Rubens. And uh, many of our cast members, if not all, were taken from the Groundlings, which is kind of the primary uh, improv group in Los Angeles. And, you know, they ended ended up contributing to the casts of SNL and other um, comedy shows you know, since the 80s. So we put together this show, and uh, so that's where I got to know Phil very well. And um, I remember being at his house one day, and he said, oh, you know, I got some toys I want to show you. And I thought, okay. So he goes in his bedroom, and he brings out three guns that he sets on the coffee table. And now I wasn't expecting that for toys. I said, no. you know, these are not toys. You're not a cop and you're not in the military and I'm getting creeped out and I'll see you later. And I left uh, because I it was inconsistent with the pot-smoking hippie I knew. Uh, and th- this is a time when he was still doing art. He was a very fine graphic artist. And, uh, you know, just kind of getting little acting jobs here and there. But, um, you know, that's sort of I tucked that away, and, and uh, we we still maintained a friendship, and we were just, you know, great friends, and we would help each other out, you know, on comedy projects, and I would get him jobs on as an announcer on various shows and stuff. So I, um, uh, then I, then he joined the cast of SNL and became what, Lauren Michaels, the executive producer, called the glue. He was just so transforming in the many, many characters he could do and the voices he could do. And one of the things they show in the ABC special is uh, his audition tape, which is hilarious. I won't Mm -hmm. blow the joke, but go to YouTube and look at Phil Hartman's (laughs) SNL audition, and it's it's just the best. 
So you could see why he got hired. And uh, shortly thereafter, uh, I joined the um, SNL writing staff. And so I got to know him. By that time, he was married to wife number three, who was Brynn. So I got to know her on that uh, in New York. And then uh, I finished with SNL, and I moved back because I was just staying in a hotel while I was on SNL, flying in and out for the shows. And um, then I moved back to L.A. and took another job. And then he ended up doing one more season at SNL, and then he and Bryn, and by now they had two little children, moved back to um, Los Angeles where they had a lovely home. And um, so I got to know them there. And then later he joined the cast of News Radio, which was a sitcom on NBC. NBC basically wrote him a check and said, whatever you want to do, prime time, because still wanted primetime. He did not want to be on late-night money because uh, there's a big difference between uh, late-night and primetime. Mm-hmm. So he was also getting movie roles, and he was on The Simpsons, which uh, tapes out in Los Angeles. So he needed to be in L.A. And um, so uh, he wanted me to develop a uh, show for NBC for him, and Bryn had been promised from the beginning. Uh, she was trying to be an actress. She was an exquisitely beautiful model. Um, when he first met her, she was an underwear model and um, swimsuit model. So he fell in love with you know this having this woman on his um, at his side on the red carpets. He just loved the fact that you know he had this fantastic looking specimen of humanity next to him and um but you know she always made it clear that she wanted to be an actress and he said stick with me baby i'll help you get roles and he never did that and in fact he purposely um lost roles for her he would undermine her at every opportunity and she got very depressed and started going back to bad habits she had before she met phil which was cocaine and alcohol and she had been in and out of rehab a couple of times. I didn't know any of that when uh, I first met her in, in New York. Um, and But, you know, I liked her a lot, and I thought she had potential as an actress. So when I spoke to Phil about the kind of show he wanted to create for NBC, uh, he said, well, you know, sort of base it on the Jack Benny show, which was an old black-and-white sitcom of the 60s, where Jack played different characters and his wife was on the show for a while and uh, it was their home life and his professional life and it was just surreal. It's still on in uh, repeats on television. If you have Antenna TV, they air the the shows. And they are the trippiest sitcom. The humor holds up to this day. It's just wonderful stuff with you know, big stars coming in each week, and um, just the craziest writing in the world. So we were on the same page in terms of creating that kind of a show, and he liked what I was putting together. And then all of a sudden he said, oh, you know, I'm going to take this job on news radio. I can't do it. Uh, I can't do our own show. And it was like, oh, well, thanks. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, also... Bryn came to me and said, that's because he doesn't want to work with me. And I said, ah, oh, come on, that's not, that can't be true. And she said, no, it's true. Then she wrote a script with a friend and said, here's the script, Phil. Um, would you give it to your agent and maybe he could sell it? He, he, he reads the script. He said, no, this is trash. I'm not going to give it to my agent. Well, I'm sorry. Agents read bad things all the time. I, I don't know whether it was bad or not. But the point is, Phil did not want her to be out of the home. He wanted her in the home taking care of the kids. And that was not what he promised her when she joined his escapade. So I felt really bad for her, and uh, and I thought it was... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Not fair. Um, and I say this as, as Phil's biggest fan. I really liked him. But one of the points the ABC show makes is that he was a distant guy. Uh, he would rather be on his boat or, um, you know, in his plane, he did not take, um, let's have a talk, and he did not look at that as, oh, great, an invitation to clear the air. No, he would go into his shell and ignore everyone, and usually that meant Bryn. So she could not get him to engage in any dialogue, and uh, it was very frustrating for her. And um, so that was, that was happening at that at that time, and it was sad. So anyway, to cut to the chase is in May of ninety eight, May twenty eighth, ninety eight, in a cocaine alcohol fueled frenzy, she shot him while he was sleeping in bed. Two head, two shots to the head, and one to the uh, chest, and killed him. Then went to a friend's house and said, "I did this." And he came back and verified that she that he was dead. Called the police, and and then she locked the door. And uh, the cops came, flooded the house. Instead of calling a because they knew she was in the room and she had a gun in that room, a gun. But by the way, she had just turned forty the month before, and for her birthday, Phil gave her a gun. So that was the gun that she put in her mouth and pulled the trigger. So the cops had been all over that house. And when I was, uh, I happened to be watching the news that morning. It was after 6 in the morning, and there, the first report said, there's a homicide at Phil Hartman's house. And because I remember he was a gun person, I called my friend who also knew him, and I said, oh, my God, he killed her. I can't believe it. Well, then more info came out, and we learned what really happened. But um, when she was in that bedroom, uh, and there was no saving Phil because they had already confirmed that uh, he was dead, 
they should have gotten a, a hostage negotiator, preferably a female there, to talk her down and tell her about her children. And, you know, they're out of the house now, but they're, they're still in your life. You know, come out, let us help you. Instead, the cops gave the order like a SWAT team and broke through the window of her bedroom where she was laying next to Phil's dead body, and it scared her, and that's when she shot herself. So I will always hold those cops to blame because she should have gone to trial. She should have been convicted. She should have gotten a sentence with some mitigation for the extreme mental anguish that he put her through for 20 years. And um, not quite 20, but, you know, long enough. By the time we got to trial, it would have been, you know, uh, that long. Um, And she should be out and uh, being a grandmother to her children. Uh, Instead, they're orphans. And the kids were uh, taken in and adopted by her sister and her husband, who just did a remarkably great job in raising these lovely children. And... um, they live in the Midwest, and, and they're adults now, 31 and 27, and uh, they live very well. So the, the, for the first time, her brother also spoke to ABC, and uh, that's a very interesting interview. So, yeah, anyway, sort of, you can jump in here anytime. Yeah, I just, I just, <laughs> uh, no, it's good to get the premise. I'm just sort of surprised. Um, I always thought... Um, they were happy together. I didn't realize that he, like you were saying, he's kind of uh, um, abusive to her. I guess mentally. Um, yeah. Um, so when oh, and back- he would he would you know here's a woman that he met because she was a swimsuit model and perfect looking, and then as soon as they got married, you know, he was like saying, you know, you're looking old. Maybe you need plastic surgery, and she would run to a plastic surgeon and have multiple surgeries. So he was always undermining her um, and picking on her looks, which was absurd. Um, so that's another thing that, you know, was just why, 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 why? But, um, well, you know, it, you, you so, can't take away his talent except as a husband. Yeah. Oh, so why is it that you think that she um, ended up shooting him? Was it just from years of this type of treatment? She had uh, almost a double um, blood alcohol uh, content, and she had cocaine, not a lot of it, but a little cocaine in her system, and she was on Zoloft, which was an antidepressant, which was prescribed to her. It was in a therapeutic amount, but pretty much you look at the label, it says, do not mix with alcohol and cocaine, Bryn. And, uh, you know, so her brother... She was, she was in and out of recovery, too, was she not? Yes, she was, uh, and she was, you know, he wanted her to go back. And uh, she she just was really, really depressed. And, um, you know, he, he didn't know what to do, but, you know, he didn't understand why she just couldn't pick herself up and go on. I mean, they had help with the kids. You know, they had nannies and housekeepers and all that so she had a pretty sweet life but everything but the thing that she wanted which was to be creative and and so when you mentioned that um he took out guns you know years previously and showed you his toys what what do you think he was trying to represent to you well i think he was letting me know that he's he's a guy who likes guns i mean he's a guy who had uh had an airplane. He had two boats when I knew him. Uh, he was a guy who liked sports cars, Ferraris and Porsches, and you know, um, he just he just thought of guns as more toys. He wanted me to go to a shooting range with him, and I just refused. Uh, I, I'm not from that culture. I'm from San Francisco. We don't do that. You know, we're uh, um, we're just not. That I, I don't know where he developed his love of guns, but um, it turned me off. And and I, uh, you know, I'm I'm not saying that they were AR-15s or you know, yeah, 
Kalishnikovs or anything like that, yeah. but um, they were uh, something I had never seen. No, I had never been to a house where somebody said, hey, look at these toys, and, you know, let's take them apart and clean them and play with them. And I thought, nope, <laughs> not yeah. me. No, me. Now, did you think Bryn was into it, or was she a collector? You know, of that's a good or? question. I would have uh, loved to know. He said that he took her. Uh, he said not to me, but to other people that they would go to a gun range so she knew how to use a gun, and uh, and that was. For, he said I bought her a gun on her fortieth birthday for protection because I'm gone all the time. Well, they lived in a very. Uh, not a private community, but a wealthy community. So uh, I don't know who they were being protected from. Um, you know, I just think it was part of his life and maybe hers. I mean, she was from uh, Minnesota, so maybe there's hunting in her family. I, I don't know. Maybe she was somebody who was raised around guns. I'm not sure. But the gun that he gave her for her 40th uh, is the one that she used um, on herself. And uh, another gun of his, probably one of the ones he showed me as a toy, was the one she used on him, a 38. Now, he said that he had, in the special that I watched last night, he said that he had been the victim of an extortion attempt and some other things. Do you think that was part of the reason he felt he needed a gun? No. I think no, because when I when he had the guns that he showed me, that was twenty years before or fifteen oh, okay. years or something like that. Oh, so wow. I think that he just had guns in his life as a regular course, and um, you know, I mean, it, uh, people own guns. I know that, you know. So, uh, but uh, I think it was just part of his life. There is a story about uh, Bryn and cocaine and Andy Dick. Do you, oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any familiarity with that? Yeah, yeah. Um, Andy, uh, at some point, at uh, on uh, I, they were on news radio. He was on news radio at the time, mm -hmm. and they were at a, a Christmas party at um, Phil's home, and uh, and. He said to Bryn, hey, I got some cocaine. You want some? Yes, I do. So he gave her some, and then Phil found out about it, and also John Lovitz found out about it, and were furious at Andy for giving her cocaine. Well, he didn't know about her background of being in and out of rehab. He just thought, hey, I, I'm going to have a little bump. But would you like one? You know, happy Christmas. It could be an eggnog, but it's not. Um and uh, I remember being on uh, SNL in the ladies' room, walking in, and there she is, you know, taking cocaine, and she offered me some, and and, and I thought, well, you know, I mean, this is, I never thought, oh, she's got a problem. Never. That never occurred to me, because I didn't know her rehab um, background, or I didn't know her addictions. If I had, I probably would have said something to him, but... Um, so I, I think that Andy just, you know, did that, and then later after she died, John Lovitz got into his mind that that action of 10 months previous was what set the path for Bryn, and she wouldn't have had anything else in her mind when she killed Phil except um, wanting to uh, avenge um you know, the fact that he was sending her back to rehab again. And uh, that's just, just crazy. I mean, I was, the night that Phil and Bryn died, I was at uh, John Lovitz's house. He had a few people over, and he was really angry about that. Uh, and, and I kept thinking, you know, it really does, <laughs> I, I don't see, I don't see the connection. But at some point, he, he actually tried to have a fight with a physical fight with uh, uh, Andy, and um, I don't know why he just fixated on that having some relevance and ignored everything else. People in show business tend to only see the loss of Phil as you know the be all end all, 
and because you know he was so important to show business, and he was. But you know there there were two people here that uh, left two little children, and uh, this whole thing was a tragedy from all directions. Yeah. Well, I have a question for you. Um, I I noticed that in the documentary, they talked about how Bryn's brother tried to sue the Pfizer Corporation over how they claimed that the Zoloft had affected her. But also right. in the documentary, there were people who said that Phil Hartman told them long before that that she was violent towards him and would hit him and throw things at him. So I think the attempt to find an explanation, you know, I, we're probably never going to know exactly why, but it sounds like there's more to it than just she was on Zoloft or she was on cocaine or whatever that particular night. Yeah, she had anger issue, issues that I hadn't known about. She never displayed anything like that when I was in her presence. Uh, but she did to other people, and Lisa, Phil's second wife, yeah, said that yeah. she sent her a violent letter. But Lisa has said direct quotes. Last night she said it was a two-page letter. Before she said it was a four-page letter. Um, so I don't know. Um, and she said that Phil, when she talked to Phil about it, he said, well, you should have seen the letter she was going to send you. Like, it was even Which worse I than think, that one. Yeah. I mean, um, then if, in, in that case, why didn't Phil say, hey, I'll take this to the post office for you and then, you know, rip up the letter? Mm-hmm. I, was there a part of him that enjoyed seeing th- these two wives at war? That was what occurred to me is, that, you know, he, he was sort of enjoying that cat fight. Uh, encouraging it, uh, and he was seeing his ex-wife as a friend at the time, yeah, and hiding it. That's from what friend. she says. Yeah, um, yeah, and that he was parking around the block, and you know, I, I really don't think that Phil had any female friends. Maybe you know he did continue a, a friendly relationship with her. Maybe that was of some comfort, um, and you know, did did. Did she, was Bryn abusive toward him physically? Probably. You know, you could not get Phil's attention unless you um, were pretty bold. You know, Phil just wasn't going to talk to people. He just didn't engage. It, Lisa tells a story that on Valentine's Day she bought some sexy uh, lingerie uh, when they were married and danced around it, and, and he just said, oh, really? Come on. And uh, she, she took it off and put it back in the box and w- went and read a book. Uh, you know, there was nothing that you could say to get Phil to engage in any way. So I, you know, th- this was this was the problem he had with women. With I guess it must have happened with his first wife as well. She's never been uh, public. Um, but it wasn't easy being uh, Phil's uh, wife, mm-hmm. and you know he he had he had to read scripts, he had to do meetings, he had to, he was away on sets, he was building his career, um, all of which is fine. You know, there's one thing uh, if you remember the opening credits for SNL when Phil was on it, he's at a diner, and sitting next to him is a blonde. And you see her earring going back and forth. You don't yeah. see her face. Yeah. That was Bryn. And Phil could have said to the director, hey, put the camera over there so you get her beautiful face in this, too. But he didn't. Um, you know, so she's in every episode, but you never see her face. Mm. So for somebody who could have helped her acting career, uh, he didn't do that. In the show last night, one of his friends said that he had said repeatedly that he did not think she was a good actor. And maybe he was trying to prevent her from embarrassing him, or at least in his eyes. But I think it's interesting. Well, I don't know that that she would embarrass. She was fine. I I worked with her, uh, and I, I think the reason that she enjoyed working with females is because we didn't have that that thing like, oh, okay, you say she's no good, okay, fine, I'll, I'll trust what Phil says, he's the master. No, I, I, I could tell you 
she was as good as any other actress that I could have worked with in a sketch comedy kind of role. So um, that was unfair. That I think he just didn't want the competition. Mm-hmm. You know, she got very depressed because they would be on the red carpet and um, everyone would just look through her and talk to Phil. And in the ABC special, it shows one time where he spells her name out, and like, oh, God, he just threw her a bone. But, um, you know, that's not the same thing as having, he, he had management. He had, he really, he was in the catbird seat with producers, directors, writers, agents, managers, um, you know, studio heads. He could have done anything to say, hey, give her, you know, throw her a bone here, do something for me, give my wife a job. And he purposely said, don't hire my wife. I mean, no wonder she was mad. Not excusing her behavior, but I'm saying, you know, she went into this relationship with that promise that he would help her, and then he did everything to, you know, Oh, honey, your face looks really round. Maybe you should do something about that and should run and get more plastic surgery. Mm. So, uh, what, well, what, do you, what do you hope people come, come away with when they uh, see the special and when they hear about the, the Phil Hartman case? Well, I have one goal when I do these shows, which is I hope one day the kids hear what I say because I want them to know that she was a loving mom and both parents were loving. They did love. You know, Phil wasn't around much, but when he was, he was great, creative person, and she was as well. And that they have directly inherited some of their very best traits. And um, that this was a you know horrendous episode that happened. One day we all wish we could turn back, um, but you know. They were good people. The mom was a good person, and, and um, you know, they didn't do this out of hatred. She was in an altered state. And just before she killed herself, she didn't she call her sister to ask her to take care of the children? Yes. That, is, that was a lucky thing that she did that, because the guy who went back to the house with her to, to assert that Phil was dead had the gun that she used on Phil in his he took it away when it fell out of uh, her purse at his home he grabbed the gun put it uh, aside and gave it to the police so his handprints were all over that gun if she didn't establish those phone calls to her sister and others uh he would have been the suspect yeah I, I thought about that last night when he's on the phone. Ron Douglas was his name when he was Ron on the phone. Ron Douglas, yeah. Say, where is the gun? And he says, it's in my hand. And, like, that doesn't seem like the smartest thing to be doing. But Yeah, yeah yes. Well, uh, she opened her purse. It fell out. And he grabbed it. So, uh, But he, at that point, he still thought that she was full of uh, beans that, oh, you didn't really kill Phil. Come on. I'm taking my car. You take your car. We'll go back over there and see what's what. And then, you know, uh, he saw that Phil was dead. He left the room to go call the police, and she locked the door and uh, stayed in that bedroom until the cops broke the window, and she. And then we heard the gunshot. By the way, when there were so many cops there, way more than they needed, it was like the... And, and thank God this was before cell phone cameras because they'd be, all these cops would be posing with the corpses um, I, no, I'm not kidding. There were at least 30 cops there. They were calling friends, cop friends, and saying, hey, come on over, look at this. Uh, and meanwhile, the coroner's office calls the lead uh, detective and says, is there something we should know over there? We're hearing rumors that you, you may have a couple of dead bodies. Oh, yeah, well, we're going to call you. This was five hours later. They didn't. They were too busy, you know, gawking and calling their buddies to come look than to call the coroner and say, uh, you know, come and, you know, uh, look at the scene and take these bodies. So which eventually happened, but um, 
you know, it was just was yeah. bad police. Uh, and I'm a, a huge proponent of LAPD and uh, the work they do, all cops. But this was not kosher. No, mm. no, not a good thing. It's been a real pleasure having you on, and, and uh, your work is fantastic. And our guest has been uh, Donna Kaufman. Thank you for being here, Donna. Thank you, guys. I appreciate this. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well... Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.